Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. to the latest episode of The Geek Buddies! Hey! I am John Roker, writer, producer, and host over at Collider and co-host of the Top Ten Show, Cinephiles, and of course the host of The Deep Cut, which is slowly but surely getting a fan base. I love it. Uh, who else have we got on the show today? Uh, this is Michael Vogel. I am a animation writer and producer and uh, of animation. I'm an animation writer and producer of animation. Yeah. Uh, the Department of Redundancy Department. <laughs> Very animated. <laughs> and this is Shannon McClung. I am an animation writer who writes animation and also a television an actor who acts on television where you might have seen me in The Orville, Superstore, and Jane the Virgin. You sticking it to me? I'm sticking it to you. Hey, already off the bat, within the first minute. It's going to be fun! <laughs> uh, uh, well, we are here today. Uh, if, this, if this is your first time listening to us, welcome aboard. Welcome aboard the Geek Buddies trains. Thank you so much. Well, and John, welcome back. Yeah, oh, we, yeah. We missed you last week. Oh, in London. You were in London, and we were with Liza Palmer. You were. I, I listened to the show. Crack yeah. and, crack love, and wise. I love Liza on the. Yeah, and there was a lot of crack and wise. <laughs> a lot of, I didn't want to bring it up, but I didn't want to start in a contentious situation. But there's a lot, a lot of jokes at my expense. <laughs> but since we're recording, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> didn't appreciate it. Liza what? didn't chime in, which I appreciated. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> I, but it was only ever, I only ever speak of you with fondness and love. I don't think you understand the meaning of those words. If that's how you <laughs> describe how you speak of me, how do you define love? <laughs> uh, no, it was great. I listened to the show on the on the flight back, uh, so it was so much fun to listen to you guys uh, have fun with Liza, and she was fantastic. And apparently, you're recruiting people for the score hordes now, so that was fun we have, to we see. Have had, we have had several requests to <laughs> yes. join the score hordes, so that might be a separate offshoot podcast. The score hordes, <laughs> we might have to do it. Mm. Very thorough application process. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Uh, I would not pass that. Pot. It's my worst slice on the Schmodown. My worst category in the Schmodown is scores and soundtracks. Is it really? I, oh, I don't know who scores what. I, really I heard don't. you like Last of the Mohicans, though. I do like Last of the Mohicans. James Newton Howard? No. James Fenimore Cooper? No, that's the that's, writer. That's the, <laughs> that's the writer of the Lizard Stalking Tales. Is it, it's not James Newton Howard? 
Is it? Oh, screw the both of you. You're fired from the score horse. <laughs> we appreciate the music no matter where it comes oh. from. We don't care who's yelled at. <laughs> yelled at by Liza. Guess Last what? You're not going to get that uh, category. Trevor Jones. <laughs> Trevor Jones. Wow. Trevor Jones. OT Jones. OTJ. Trevor Jones. Not Tom Jones. <laughs> Trevor. That's, that's a good point. No, it was a good show. A, a lot of fun. It was great to have Liza on. Kind of our first pseudo-interview person, uh, and it kind of gave me an idea that we should bring a full a full interview person to have it a full interview. So next week, we are going to release our first ever full interview alone with a guest, and uh, we are bringing on... Uh, should we say the name? I'm, dr- I'm drum rolling, so uh, now you have to. I guess we have to. Uh, the great voice actor himself, uh, Pinky from Pinky and the Brain, Rob Paulson. Woo! Rob's coming on. He's going to talk about his new book he's got coming out here that talks about his experiences with the fans and how they helped him through his own cancer diagnosis and his own cancer battle, throat cancer. If you know Rob Paulson, and and I'm sure you do if you watched any animated shows in your life, uh, Rob Paulson has been in so many of them through the last few decades. Uh, He wrote a book about his experiences uh, uh, dealing with uh, talking to fans and being inspired by their stories as they struggle with what they struggle with and how it helped him uh, when he got cancer was 59 years old and possibly had his way of life threatened uh, by something that he did not see coming. And so all of that is in this incredible book that's uh, that's going to be available uh, October 8th, I think it is, um, uh, on – and it's available pre-order on Amazon now. Uh, sorry, I don't have the title in front of me, but I know I can get it in just two seconds. Voice Lessons, How a Couple of Ninja Turtles, Pinky, and an Animani- Animaniac Saved My Life. Say it again. Animaniac. Thank you. There it is. <laughs> uh, and hopefully the first of uh, many Geek Buddies interview series. Yeah, we'd like uh, oh, a series. I think so. Mr. Yeah. NPR over here. All right, we can do a series. I'm cool with that. Shannon? Yeah, I think that's cool, too. Okay, good. Well said. <laughs> we'll figure it out as we go along. But anyway, if you're a, a returning listener, thank you so much. If you're a new listener, thank you so much. Uh, this is how the show works. We each talk about one geek news item for a little bit, and then we talk about our main topic. We dive into there with uh, with our uh, waders on. We wade into that pool, that uh, swamp sometimes. Uh, but our main topic this week is going to be the big news that Kevin Feige is uh, jumping into the Star Wars franchise I was say, usually to do like, a film. I, I would say if you looked at all of our episodes mm-hmm. that we've done so far, several of them are Marvel-centric, several of them are Star Wars-centric, and this is the... They collide. They, they, they have collided. Oh, ah. some would say a collider. Anyway, <laughs> well, there we go. Uh, Shannon, start us off, my friend. Yeah, so a couple of nights ago, um, there was a special collider screening of Jurassic World at the Arclight Hollywood here in Southern California. And at the conclusion of that screening, the director, Colin Trevorrow, 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 is it Trevorrow? Yeah, I think so. He announced that for the upcoming Jurassic World 3, which is going to be coming out in 2021, he has the original three actors from the first Jurassic Park film coming back. Sam Neill, Patricia Arquette and uh, Jeff Goldblum. Patricia Arquette was in the first. Oh, one? Shit. <laughs> I don't remember. I, I, like, I was like, uh, <laughs> I remember Patricia Arquette in that one. My apologies. You mean Laura Dern? That's what I meant. Yes. Yes. Howard's doing the score. So. Uh. <laughs> 
I just, I maybe, just, I just should have said uh, Ellie Sattler. Maybe don't hassle him in the first minute of the show. You throw him off throw his him rhythm, off. Mike. Yeah, <laughs> way to go there, Shan. No, no, yeah, she did. Uh, uh, obviously, we had cameras. If you want to see videos of it, it's up there on the Collider YouTube channel. Uh, obviously, we knew that this was going to happen because we have a camera backstage with Laura Dern, so she was going to come out. But we didn't know if she was going to what she was going to announce. We knew she was going to announce something. I don't think we knew exactly what she was going to announce. And then, boom, she announced this massive news that uh, Sam Neill and Jeff, because Jeff is Jeff was in the last one in I one. Mean, Scene. He was thirty in, seconds. He was right, in right, one right. scene that had kind of been spliced out, and they kind of peppered it throughout the film. And it was in the trailer, so you were like, you weren't surprised. You by had him. the impression that he was going to play a much larger role, but yes. you know, according to the director, they are going to play a significant presence in this next yeah. film. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Mikey? I mean, this is the only thing that might get me into the theaters to see that third movie. So, right, right. I guess. Yeah. I, it's hard for me. I love Jurassic Park. So much. In fact, uh, at our last Score Horrors, there was some uh, John Williams, and I was asking everybody what their favorite Spielberg film was, and it kind of like surprised me that I actually thought, I was like, E.T. and Jurassic Park, I think, are my two favorite Spielberg mm. films. I love Jurassic Park. I think Jurassic World is not a good movie. Sure. I think the second Jurassic World is a horrible movie. Yes, agreed. And the... There's two things that make me interested in this third movie. One of them is this cast returning. I do fear that when they say significant role, that means it'll be upped from like two minutes of Jeff Goldblum in the last one to like 10 minutes. But hopefully they're in a big part of it. Like that actually makes me a little bit more intrigued. And then the only other thing that made me intrigued was uh, the uh, the battle at but what was it called? The, battle uh, of Black Rock. Bla- right? The Battle at Black Rock? Big Rock? Or, or I think it was Big Rock. Big Battle Rock. Of, Blattle, the Battle at Big Rock, yeah. starring uh, our college friend Andre Holland. Andre Holland, which need, who we need to get on the Geek Buddy somehow. We should get him on because right. we were in some plays together in college and now he's we fighting were. dinosaurs. Now this guy's uh, all big and uh, famous. I thought the best part of the last film was like basically the closing credits. I think the way that they released dinosaurs into the wild may be one of the stupidest plot points in the yes. history of plot points. But the concept of dinosaurs sort of roaming wild across the world or at least across America, I think that's really interesting. And then watching that eight-minute battle at Big Rock, I was like, okay, I get this. This is a world where dinosaurs are roaming wild yeah. and that's a thing that we have to deal with. That's actually interesting to me. That's there's the and if you watch the Battle of Big Rock, the best part of that the credits is the credits. Yeah, right. Where it has all the like sort of found video footage of dinosaurs yeah. like you know attacking weddings and stuff. Yeah. And so that combined with the original cast returning, I kind of feel like I'm being lured back into a trap. Yes. Like I like I don't deep down in my gut I know that this third movie this is a fool me three times like I know I shouldn't go in. Mm. But I feel like how, I'm going to end up going in. How ironic the anti-Transformers people now can feel the pain. <laughs> this is what it's like. You know, and you go back and watch it again, and you go, you know what? They're gonna, I, the trailer looks good. I'm going to go see this Transformers movie. And you go in, and you're like, so you're admitting that the Transformers movies aren't good? I'm admitting to you that I know a lot of people don't think they're good. And then they, and then they are sanctimonious about it when they themselves uh, can be quite uh, duped into going into their franchises they love and keep going back to the well thinking it's going to be better this time. <laughs> Would either of your interests be higher for this film if Patricia Arquette were in it? No. <laughs> I mean – no offense. I mean, Patricia. award winner Patricia Arquette. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, fair. Fair. Uh, Don't yeah. you get a sense that 
because, I mean, the first one was incredibly successful and relaunched the franchise. The second one still made a lot of money. It made, uh, I want to say domestically, it made about two-thirds of what the first one made. Yes. But it made $1.3 billion overall. Sure. I mean, it made a lot of money. Which is less, though, than the the last one. It was like the 1.5 or 1.6. 1.6 is the last. It was Jurassic World. Do you get the sense that bringing those three back in... Desperation play is not the right term. I think it is, but I, well, I don't. I don't want to use the word desperation because I mean your your movie is making over a billion dollars. Yeah. you're not desperate. But do you think it's like ah, you know what? We kind of put a bad taste in people's mouths. Let's play the nostalgia card and get the original three back. I in. think that's absolutely the reason they do it. Doing it because I think people weren't going to go to see this next one. People were not going to see this. Next, right. and, and it's being directed by a director that was kicked off Star Wars. That's not a good pedigree. Yes, he's going back to to finish what he started. Ironically, uh, what JJ uh, uh, is doing with Star Wars. Right? Didn't Trevor O direct the first one, the first Jurassic World? He, wrote, he yeah. directed the first Jurassic World, right. and he was an EP. He was a producer on the second one. Right. As well. So he's coming back to finish out, kind of like JJ, coming back to finish out that franchise in his own way. So bringing those three back, ironically, like JJ brought the three back. You know, the Trinity. Uh, is an interesting decision, but I think this is the way, as Michael said at the beginning here, to get people who are like, I don't know if I want to see another Jurassic World back in the theaters to see it and give it a chance. My thing on Movie Talk was I think this is smart because if you move, you got to move Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas and Howard, in my opinion, out of the way. You move Laura Dern back into the center of this whole situation. Yeah, uh, you make her the reason because she was always the balance between Sam Neill's full scientist guy and Jeff Goldblum's fully sarcastic chaos theory guy. She was always the balance. So if you bring her back, make her a central part of this, like you're pretending it or you're saying she's going to be. Because remember, she said, I'm not going back. I'm never doing this again. Screw you. I'm out. Well, the fact she's coming back kind of closes the loop on this whole Jurassic World, Jurassic Park situation. And then she's the one that kind of shuts it all down and uh, kind of re how can I, uh, saves John Hammond's memory or what his idea was for the park once and for all and just ends it once and, be, and kicks B.D. Wong's ass right down the hill. Like all of it is done once and for all and she's, she ends it. I'm going to say right now, I don't know if that's what's happening, but I will tell you that if this movie comes down to Laura Dern versus B.D. Wong, I am in. <laughs> I'm just saying. I am in for that. It's certainly possible. I, yeah, I kind mm. of wish, because Jurassic Park is just such a great... Yeah. Franchise. I mean, no matter. Franchise or film? No, no, no. Film. Let me. Okay, let me take it back. Conceptually, it is a great franchise. Yes, conceptually. We love these dinosaurs. We love the idea of the park. Like, there. I'm not saying it's a successful franchise and that the movies have all been good. I think you had one amazing movie, and then you've had a bunch of other movies that exist that on varying levels have good moments, bad moments, whatever. But I think the reason these movies keep coming out and the reason that we're still having these conversations, most other franchises after the third or fourth movie where you're just like, ugh, yeah. they die. This is not – it's not going extinct. Ah. Um, and so I kind of feel like – Bringing them back in to sort of close out this trilogy, if mm-hmm. that is what they're doing, and like let's kind of put a bow on this Jurassic World yeah. trilogy and kind of put it to bed and then bring in some other people and be like, okay, fix all this for us. Yeah. And kind of give us like a fresh start again down the road. Maybe that's good. Okay. See, I, but, I, but I question it being conceptually a great franchise because once you have the park uh, destroyed, like where do you go with I'm it? Not, all I'm telling you is that I, I'm not I'm – not, this is not a here's the logical reasons why I can list down for you why on a story standpoint this franchise works. What I'm telling you is this movie came out in 90 
93 or 4. 93 or 4? 93, I think. And it is still going strong. We, oh, yeah. we, the, the world at large still loves Jurassic Park. You are right. The park barely o- didn't open the first time. They opened the park in this next trilogy. It didn't last the first movie. Mm-hmm. They've now run dinosaurs into the wild, but just the concept of the dinosaurs in the Jurassic Park universe, the T-Rex of Jurassic Park, the velociraptors of Jurassic Park, audiences just love this world. They love mm-hmm. these dinosaurs in a way that we do not love other dinosaurs. Okay. We love this theme music. We love this universe. Like there's something about it that has just that it captured the imagination when Michael Crichton wrote the book. Steven Spielberg captured that magic when the movie came out and that magic from all those years ago as bad as some of these movies have been still hasn't quite left the franchise the way that other franchises just yeah. use that magic and it's gone. Yeah. And I don't know why. But it's still there. Yeah, I okay. still love Jurassic Park, even though I don't like any of these movies anymore. Right. And I will say the new ride at Universal Hollywood, that's yeah, pretty fun. Yeah. The new Jurassic yeah. No, I haven't ridden it yet. Where, where, where are you, where are you <laughs> <laughs> You're a little biased, Shannon, to be I, fair. I, well, okay, fine. <laughs> For any of our listeners that don't know, I work at the Jurassic World. Right. Um, uh, in the area at Universal Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You do. We'll have a whole conversation about my opinions on Universal versus Disney. On another podcast. Okay, yeah. don't, not with me on it, because I don't want to get in trouble. That's <laughs> yeah, true. You could fire no, you Next time you're that. gone. Uh, all right. Well, let's, we'll see what happens. Certainly, uh, uh, you know, that we've got a long way till we see a first trailer even to see what possible role the three of them are going to be playing. I, I put it on, on, on Movie Talk that I think Laura Dern might be related to either Bryce Dallas Howard or – uh, Chris Pratt in some way. Or maybe. that clone baby. Oh, the clone baby. Oh. oh, yeah. Let's not bring that back. You might as well bring Superman Kid back from Superman Returns. I yep. want to free the dinosaurs because they are like me. And I'm a clone. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Uh, all right. Let's uh, move on to the next story. And that's the Joker. I'm going to take this one. The Joker movie. We haven't seen it. The movie, the movie that we keep talking about even though none of us have seen it yet. I know. It's so strange. There is the hoopla has gotten out of control against this movie. And the like I just read before we went to record that the LAPD is going to be on high alert for screenings of the Joker. Can we all stop clutching our pearls and crying like babies about this fucking movie? It's just a movie. It is not a how to become a mass murderer movie or how to become it's not the anarchist cookbook of a movie you know teaching you how to go about becoming a white supremacist murderer it's just a movie about the joker uh, i get some of the concerns that have been out there in the world about like well do we need to see another uh, white uh, man movie where he's pissed off at the world well there's not that many matt and i just did a top 10 uh man pushed to the edge movies and there's not that many. So people claiming that there's so many of them out there, there really aren't. There's a lot of revenge movies out there. There's a lot of, like, uh, uh, fighting back movies out there. But there are not a lot of movies where a guy is pushed to the edge uh, and then fight, the star, you know, mows down people. There's not. Falling down. Falling down. Like that's pretty much. Falling and down taxi, pretty, yeah. And, yeah, and Taxi Driver. Those are probably – and but Taxi Driver, the guy was already unstable before the film before the film even starts. You know from the first few beats the guy is an unstable person. So with Falling Down, there's the switch because you don't see that coming and you're with him initially. Um, and then the switch happens. Death Wish, same thing. Like Death Wish, it's because of what happened to his wife. You know, it's not a matter of – so this is a whole situation. This isn't like he's – you know, and, and he's a, he has an interracial relationship it seems like from the trailers with Zazie Beetz. So you can't put him in this kind of box. 
Anyway, Todd Phillips uh, came out and finally started talking about it because I think he senses, and Warner Brothers probably senses as well, which is probably why they're limiting the screenings at this point to those of us in, in the industry, uh, that th- this could affect the box office. This could affect people coming uh, or awards for it or whatever. So he was being asked about it in an interview here and uh, with the rap. Uh, and he said, I think it's uh, – asked about what is going on and why people feel pretty aggrieved about the situation. He said, I think it's because outrage is a commodity. I think it's something that has been a commodity for a while. What's outstanding to me in this discourse, in this movie, is how easily the far left can sound like the far right when it suits their agenda. It's been really eye-opening for me. That's a it's a hell of a statement. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about uh, uh, John Wick and says how, um, you know, John Wick killed 300 people in his movie. People are hooping and hollering. Why is this movie being unfairly vilified? Now, to be fair, uh, there was a letter written here to Warner Brothers from uh, the five family members uh, who are survivors of the shooting that occurred in Colorado uh, and where the guy mm-hmm. claimed to have dressed up as the Joker and whatever and was inspired by the Joker and killed a lot of people. Is it's certainly a, a tragedy, um, and so there's certainly room for a a, de- a conversation and a debate about this. So uh, this is why I wanted to make it um, my uh, my geek news item because Warner Brothers also issued a statement where they said we've worked with uh, you know people and the victims yeah. and bipartisan. Warner Brothers actual full statement. Yeah. Uh, gun violence in our society is a critical issue, and we extend our deepest sympathy to all victims and families impacted by these tragedies. Our company has a long history of donating to victims of violence, including Aurora, and in recent weeks, our parent company joined other business leaders to call on policymakers to enact bipartisan legislation to address this epidemic. Yeah. At the same time, Warner Brothers believes that one of the functions of storytelling is to, provo- is to provoke difficult conversations around complex issues. Make no mistake, neither the fictional character Joker nor the film is an endorsement of real-world violence of any Kind. It is not the intention of the film, the filmmakers, or the studio to hold this character up as a hero. Yeah, and uh, Stephanie uh, Zakarik, I think I'm saying that right, who is the Time movie magazine film critic, she said about the film after seeing it, she said he could easily be adopted as the patron saint of incels. Using a popular term that is a divisive popular term, Arthur inspires chaos and anarchy, but the movie makes it look like he's starting a revolution. I won't go into more because it might ruin some things. Um and says, and the sad guys who can't get a date become killer heroes. These are, these are, div- these are inflammatory words at, equivalent to what you might see on the screen. Well, I think. I think that first of all, like I said, I think it's a little bit ridiculous for us all to be arguing about it before we see it. True. You may see the movie and come out and go, shit. Yeah, but let me see the movie. Sure. I I think I think so. The, I think taking a step back, the bigger thing about this whole Joker thing is that this has just become a flashpoint for yes. think pieces on the internet, where half the world is saying this movie is horrible. White men are horrible. Why is this movie about white men coming out? White like it just it's like yes. it's just it's people are just going crazy about this movie having not seen it. Yeah. And then conversely, the other side is going crazy, going how dare you? This is art. This movie is the Joker. It right. won awards. Joaquin Phoenix is amazing. This performance is going to win an Oscar, having also not seen it. Yeah. So all of us are having this argument about something that we haven't seen. I actually, like I, I think I've said this before uh, a couple weeks ago, I'm going into this movie next week when we go see it fascinated yeah. because I think I am 50% going to go, this was an amazing movie, or I am 50% going to come out and go, shit, man, this is not the time in our society for this movie to come out. And I could go either way. What I will say about Todd Phillips' statement is I think the thing that I can address yeah, yeah, yeah. 
is this kind of weird analogy to John Wick that makes no sense. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, no one is saying this movie is bad because Joker kills X number of people. Right. John Wick is a – even though he was an assassin in his – in this movie, he is an assassin who kills people and in the movie – in all three movies, he is killing other assassins because some people killed his dog. Yeah. He is not going and killing movie. people at large. He is not sh- sowing chaos. He's not doing anything. Joker, as a character, mm-hmm. is a villain, is a bad guy. Yeah. Ba- like, ba- capital bad guy. Yes. And based on everything that this movie has shown, based on all the trailers, without having seen anything else— it is clear that what they are doing with the Joker is giving him an origin story that, while maybe it doesn't completely make him a sympathetic character, says here's why this guy went down this road and the reasons based on the trailer that he seems to go down this road yeah. do seem to be similar to many people in our society today that go down a road where they do horrible things. And so I don't think anyone is saying, look, every single moment is the same. He clearly is a racist because – you know, like to your point, well, yeah. he's in an interracial relationship. There's stuff. I don't think Todd Phillips set out to say, I'm going to make a white guy movie. He just right. made a movie about the Joker. Yeah. But I do think that that's where this whole, well, it's just like John Wick, what's the difference, is kind of a silly argument. I think you're fair. I think it's fair. Uh, Shannon? Well, I mean, I got two things, I, two, two thoughts here. One, um, judging from the marketing, having not seen the film, they are not framing this guy, in my opinion, yeah. as a hero. Yeah. Like, I. It, I why are you giving me that look right now? <laughs> Mike because, is giving me a doubting look. Because from – and this is from a very, very little bit in the trailer. But it very much seems like in the little bit they show of Thomas Wayne, Thomas Wayne looks like a villain to me. Right. But that – you are literally – you're talking about a four to five second shot. I am. But I do – But Joker doesn't? An unstable person who's writing shit into a notebook and there's no medication for him and he's around and he's doing the weird laugh and like all of that seems unsettling. There's no triumphant moment for that character, a a triumphant heroic moment in the marketing. Not that I could see. I slightly disagree with that. Okay. Uh, Only because, as I said, and again, this is just one of those like reading the tea leaves of a movie trailer thing. I, I could be completely wrong about this. But I will say that if Mm -hmm. they set Thomas Wayne as a rich, wealthy, white person, as the person who is the 1%, as the person whatever, who's getting everything, Mm -hmm. and they set Joaquin Phoenix's Joker up as a down-on-his-luck white guy who can't get the health benefits he needs, can't get the job that he needs, can't get the things that he needs, and he ends up going crazy and other people around him start to embrace his way of thinking against the rich white people, Yeah, then I think that's where they possibly will be problematic. And that's no spoilers because I have no idea what the movie's about. This is me literally watching the trailer and going, I'm getting a feeling that this could be partially what – is going on. Right. Yeah. I just I'm basing it off of the shots of his face. Nothing about that says this is a good guy. Everything anytime he smiles, like it is eerie. Yeah. And I will say the shots of him in the poster where he's like celebrating on the staircase, that does look like he's supposed to be the protagonist you're going with, right? Like that he might have some kind of triumphant moment. It doesn't mean it will happen. Right. But, and he certainly seems downtrodden. I mean, he's hitting the head with the sign. He's beat up. on. So it's it's certainly a – he's meant – he's positioned to be an underdog hero in the movie. 
the thing is, will this be like falling down where the first hour you're with him and then when he starts to take the turn, you're like, oh, shit, too uh, far, too far, too far. It could be a lesson in the long run. And to be honest with you, Thomas Wayne's kind of a dick. So it's okay to go. How was Thomas Wayne ever a dick? I mean, he could have been kind of a dick. We're only he... getting presented Tom Wayne in a certain way in the comics, but he's a rich dude. How did he make his money? We never find out how he really made his money. Did he step on people? Did he hurt people? Did he harass people? Did he take money away from people? Okay. We don't know. Well, and also, do you I'm think— I'm just saying there's possibilities. Okay. okay. Also, could this be—like, what I worry about is this being a self-fulfilling prophecy. If everyone comes out saying, oh, this mm. is what's going to happen, you're you're stoking the fires of people, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think that's what concerns me, is concerns me especially on the heels of the Rambo situation, right? I think, in my opinion, in my opinion, and I don't, I don't take the hits for this— I think some. Uh, I think a lot of liberal critics went into that film with their mind made up, and they were like, "With Joker, no Rambo." Oh, sorry. and I think the same thing is going to happen here. Liberal critics going in with their mind made up already. Uh, this is a Republican filmmaker, and Sylvester Stallone has had pictures with Trump. Uh, he is doing a film where he is fighting the Mexican cartel, and all of a sudden. It's a racist film. It's a MAGA film. It's a film about this or that. But when he was fighting the Burmese, wasn't against the Burmese, wasn't racist against the Burmese. When he was fighting the uh, the Vietnam uh, people, who wasn't racist against Vietnam people, Vietnamese people. But all of a sudden, because he's fighting a Mexican cartel and Trump's rhetoric, they go in, they see this, and they go, this is a MAGA movie. This is such a MAGA movie. And I fucking hate MAGA. And I don't believe in MAGA. And I am saying it's not a MAGA movie and it's not a racist movie. But I think critics going – so I think some critics are going into Joker going, this is an incel. This is a white man for us. To, do we need to see this right now in our society? And they're coming out with their minds already uh, – uh, uh, their opinions already reaffirmed because they're looking at it through a certain prism. I think some critics are doing that. I, I, I agree with that. I think that's 100 percent true. I think that we – I think it's very difficult – in America right now. Yeah. I think when you go outside of America, you go to Europe <laughs> and everyone's like, it's very difficult in America right now. I think it's very difficult in America for anything not to be divisive. Like, yeah. like, like everyone is grabbing everything and saying whether it's this company donated to these people, this movie said this, the actor or actress in this movie said this about this political issue. Like, right. like there's not there's, – there's no way out. Like you are – you are forced to choose sides even if you don't want to choose sides. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, maybe having these movies that really f- force us to face these issues and have these debates are good. Maybe yeah. it's not. I don't know. I I have I, I think that it is going to be a fascinating episode of Geek Buddies after we've <laughs> actually seen the movie. That's and fair we, point. I mean, it's probably gonna be a whole episode where we're like, okay, let's just break down the fucking Joker. Yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, definitely. Are we good with this? I mean, yeah. we could just keep talking about something none of us have seen. We yeah, can do it for true. the whole episode. Well, uh, one last thing, and we'll keep it qu- keep it brief for a few seconds. What do you think about his idea? Because I think this is something that is starting to come up, this idea that the far left is almost as bad as the far right, which the far right has been saying. And now people within the left and the liberal side of things who are not as far left as other people are starting to see how the far left can be quite a difficult thing to deal with. Do you think he's valid by saying that, Todd? Phillips. I think that the far edges of either of anything are challenging because once you've gone to any level of extreme Senator Vogel here. Well, no, I mean, I'm just saying like it's it is true that like the far, far right is to me as a 
gay American, as a gay Jewish American. Like I'm like it's it's like it 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 is horrifying to me. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, even though I consider myself, you know, again being a gay Jewish guy living in Los Angeles in Southern California, I consider myself pretty much on the liberal side of things. Yeah. There are things that people on the if you would descri- if you would describe them as far left getting upset about, and I'm like, uh, that's problematic too. Like I think yeah. that. Uh, I think that the further we go to either side, uh, the harder it's going to be for us to come to any kind of agreement on anything. We used to be okay in the middle. Why was that a bad place to be? Anytime you have, in my opinion, anytime you have an extreme point of view, the more extreme that point of view is, the less likely you are to listen to the other side. Right. And as Obi-Wan Kenobi said in Revenge of the Sith, only Sith deal in absolutes. Well, well said. And he also said some shit was true from a certain point of view, and he was straight up lying. Okay, so, okay. Well, uh, stop uh, stop poo pooing on the point. Yeah, all <laughs> far left guy. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, go get your kombucha, you hippie. Yeah. <laughs> what did that white Jedi say now? Oh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Those um, incel Jedis. No relationships ever. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Speaking uh, of white. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wow. Segway, son. <laughs> well, now I don't want to talk about my geekness. <laughs> Break it down, my man. No, it's cool. I will let that go. Uh, yeah, we're going to let that go. We are going to talk about the Frozen 2 trailer that dropped this week. I love that we were like, let's talk about Joker and incels in the far left. And I'm like, so guys, Frozen 2. Let's, uh, let's, let's turn this around. Yeah. Uh, so yes, on Monday, the final trailer for uh, Frozen 2 before it yeah. comes out in November on Thanksgiving weekend dropped, and uh, it's very exciting. Everyone yes. is really stoked about uh, a return to Arendelle. I think I'm probably the one who's most stoked out of this group of people. I would agree. I would agree. Um, but uh, what did you guys think of the trailer before I uh, break it down a little bit? I liked it. I've, been, I've liked every trailer for Frozen that's come out. But I've always – but I've liked it with a little bit of trepidation. Like it, it doesn't feel as magical as the first one. And to be honest with you, and this may make me unpopular with some people, I didn't think it was that good of a movie. I enjoyed it. It's a good movie. But I didn't think it was this – Massive, great thing. There were some really good scenes. Like Elsa's uh, song is fantastic when she's building the castle. That's uh, you know the standard song that Idina sings. That's great. The moment. standard song, the the biggest song in Disney is. What did it calm down? <laughs> I'm sorry, I meant to say like the song that comes out. That was the one that was nominated. That's what I meant to say. Sorry, the standard bearer. That's what I meant to say. I'm sorry, the standard bearing song mm-hmm. for that movie. Okay, mm-hmm. Adele right. Dazim over here. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Here we go. Well, when she built her white castle uh, of, of snow and frozen things. no, and I not I, a hamburger in sight. <laughs> <laughs> and the Sven stuff was funny, you know, of course. Olaf, of course. Olaf I enjoyed. But overall, I just felt it wasn't like as strong as I've seen Disney do before. But that being said, it certainly struck a chord with a lot of people and they loved it. So um, when I've seen the trailers, I've been like, well, I still have the same feeling. This looks like it will have some great scenes in it, but I don't know if I'll enjoy the overall aspect of the film. I did like the first trailer, though, the darkness of the beginning of the first trailer, trying to get off that island. I liked that. That was a new, like, interesting aspect mm-hmm. to it. So Yeah, and I love any sort of uh, fantasy road trip quest movie, and it looks like they're they're off on an adventure mm-hmm. to, to achieve something. Um, I was not a big fan of the first movie. I thought the animation was beautiful. I think the performances with Adina Menzel and Kristen Bell were both really, really great. Yeah. Um, I will absolutely go see it. I'll be sitting right next to you when I go see it. You probably will be. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I mean, look, I love Frozen. love it. I also think it's a really problematic movie in some ways. Mm-hmm. I think it has some big story flaws, but I think the things that it does really well 
like the music, uh, like the relationship between Anna and Elsa, like the fact that even though there is a romance in the movie, the true love in the movie is actually between two sisters. I mean, there's a lot of things yeah. that it did that really did set it apart uh, from your typical Disney princess movie that I thought was really, really, really great. And uh, I also agree with you that like that first trailer with uh, her stuck on the beach and on this dark island and trying to like build this ice to get off the island, like there's a lot of really cool stuff. I think what was cool about this trailer is it contextualized all of that a little yeah. bit more. So yeah. I think we didn't really know what was going on and what we do know now, because um, I mean, I think one of the big questions that some could argue was a story flaw, because you never would have known if you were going to get a sequel, but it looks like they're going to sort of correct this, is they never really addressed why Elsa had magical powers at all. It was just a thing that happened. She had them, Anna didn't, that's what it was. And now, you know, just based on this trailer, we now know that, uh, okay, dad, the king, and had dad at least had gone to this enchanted area uh, far to the north when he was younger. I don't know that this is what they're saying. It'll be interesting if they do, but I don't know if that's where he met his wife, the queen, and if she did have powers, oh, and that's why Elsa does. I don't know if that's true or not. Again, this is sort of the Joker thing. This is me doing my like reading the tea leaves and trying to like figure things out um, because he does clearly, as a young boy, turn around and see some woman with with wind powers. But we also know that this area had magic. Something bad happened. It was blocked off forever, and now whatever did that has now come to Arendelle, so Elsa is now in trouble, has to go. And that the big driver of this movie does seem to be the fact that whereas in the first movie, Elsa thought there was something wrong with her and wanted to remove herself from everybody, including her sister, to keep them safe, now Elsa is taking on this responsibility to go deal with something and also wants to protect Anna and not let her go. And clearly, as Anna says in the trailer, she's going. So it does seem like the sisters and their relationship is still going to be at the forefront. It seems like we're going to get a lot of answers. And to your point, Shannon, it looks like an epic fantasy mm. quest movie. It looks more like a trailer for a Final Fantasy game than it does for a Disney princess movie, which I think is really, really cool. So I'm excited. As the one who is the most excited, what single aspect is exciting you the most? I really like the idea of um, – Mm, that's a tough question. I, I'm glad that it still seems to be a really strong emotional story to the movie between them because mm-hmm. I think that that's where they do the strongest when Disney really sticks to their emotion. At the same time, I love the idea of this whole world of people that can practice magic like Elsa. Um, and I think like what I like the most – I mean this is the cheesiest thing. I think probably my favorite part of the trailer is uh, when like little daddy troll who – fucking trolls but whatever. When daddy troll says like the idea that Elsa can get lost in her magic – uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I, lo- I love this idea that probably like whatever Elsa does and goes to these magic people in this magic world, but like that it's her relationship with Anna that's going to keep her grounded. Like that's that's to me like that's like the bread and butter of my of a really good emotional story. So right, right, right. And the thing that I'm most excited about, which we still don't have a sense of, is the new songs. Okay, yeah. So you're saying Elsa doesn't want Anna to go. She literally says it in the trailer. Elsa doesn't want to let it go. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, she doesn't want to let her go. Nailed Maybe it. that's the new song. Let her go. Let her go. Let her go. Is that wow. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. All right. So, yeah, so there you go. That's the geek news. I'm totally going to see it, so I'm looking forward to it. Maybe I can, if, we, if I get an early screening, plus one. Yeah. Right there. Our friend Jonathan Gabay will get very upset, but yes. He's very mad. He feels like he feels like we don't see any movies together anymore because I go with you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> he gets, well, he's very he's like well, I, I now I now get the well. Are we going to go see this or is it yeah. a geek buddies thing? Well, now he can you know he can suck it because he goes to all the EDM concerts. Never invites me. How's that feel, JG? Yeah, he, he also wow. listens to the podcast, so there's going to be some text messages. Oh yeah, sure. That. How was that? Did you enjoy yourself? Wow. I wasn't invited. I didn't know I was going to open that can of worms. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Talk about incels. Anyway, all right, let's move on. <laughs> That's one or main. Wow, talking about letting it go. 
<laughs> Touche. Point to Mike. All right. Let's take a quick break uh, to listen to some sponsors, and then we'll be back to the Geek Buddies. Thanks to those great sponsors of the Geek Buddies who make the show possible uh, for us every week. All right. Now let's get back into the second half of the Geek Buddies. Uh, all right. Let's talk about uh, our main topic here. Let's move on to that. And that is the uh, news that broke that Kevin Feige is going to be doing a Star Wars movie. This gets a five star. Holy shit. Yeah. What the fuck is going on? Talk about opening a can and you know, you don't know what this is going to lead to. Already people making speculation that possibly Benioff and Weiss are going to get moved off their thing and they're going to bring Feige into that. There's rumors that she's gonna he's going to take Kathleen Kennedy's place and them grooming him for that as a Marvel is going to be losing Kevin Feige. There's all kinds of stuff going on through here. Uh, so let's just talk about that overall as uh, first your reaction to it and then second of all what you think this might lead to I think the reaction I mean I think the reaction by most geeky people is probably like fuck yeah yeah I mean I think that looking at the and we've talked about this I mean we've literally talked about this that mm-hmm. the the issue that Star Wars has is that they don't have a creative producer in Kathleen Kennedy the way Marvel does with Kevin Feige that you right. need that you need that person at that top level to sort of steer the ship with a bunch of directors beneath them. And that's not what they're saying he's doing necessarily. It sounds like based on the announcement that he has his Star Wars. This is what I think is really interesting about the whole thing is right now we don't really know what the makeup is, which is why there's all these rumors. And to your point, some people are saying, well, Benioff and Weiss are going to get the boot. Uh, Ryan Ryan Johnson. I think that like right now they're in an interesting position because – they were really excited about whatever whatever it is that Ryan Johnson said he was doing with Last Jedi and that he wanted to continue doing. Uh, they were clearly excited enough to say once J.J. comes and rounds out the, the, this, the, the saga, we really like what you're saying and want you to explore that. They were really excited to get Benioff and Weiss prior to Game of Thrones Season 8. Right. And I think both of those uh, creative entities at this point have they're bruised. They're bruised. Yeah, they're not stained, broken. There's stains on them. Neither broken, but both bruised. Yeah. And I think that that combined with, you know, the directorial issues they've had on Rogue One, the directorial issues they've had on Solo, like it's it's been a rocky thing. And meanwhile, you have Kevin Feige over here who he's had amazing directors. He's had challenging directors. But that Marvel Universe has just barreled forward to yeah. huge success. Uh, and even the news this week that with Bob Iger's book coming out, he talked about how and he took the he took it he took the responsibility for it, but saying that they maybe did too much too fast with Star Wars. So I think which is ironic as hell because they're going to be doing too much too fast again. Mandal- I don't know that that's Mandalorian, true. the animated series, all the comic books and sh- movies, uh, and the novels. That's that's a lot. Cool. And they dated some movies. They yeah. did date some more films. And, yeah. and it's not that traditional three year turnaround that the original trilogy and the prequels had. They're still doing the two year. Tr- Disney uh, Plus is essentially giving them green light, green light to do all these Star Wars shows. But again, but here's my point, and this is where I think it'll be interesting to see what Kevin Feige's role is. Even if I don't think they're going to have a Benioff and Weiss trilogy, a Ryan Johnson trilogy. Yeah. And a Kevin Feige trilogy. There's just not enough space for nine Star Wars movies to come out, particularly if they're not going to do them every other – like it's just ridiculous. Like we don't have the time for that. What we do have the time for – and to your point, you just said it. You were trying to list off, well, they've got this, they've yeah. got this, they've got this. Marvel has all of that and more. Marvel has Marvel comic books. Marvel sure, has sure, movies, sure, Marvel sure. This, and nobody complains about it. Nope. And this is I think the key. Is I think if whatever role Kevin Feige comes in and says, hey, guys, here's what I want to do. Benioff and Weiss, you're doing this, which is 
by all uh, by all rumors and everything is going to be a pre- a far prequel. Yeah, Knights of the Old Republic. Ryan Johnson, you know, rumors that Daisy Ridley is going to reprise the role as Rey. Everything else kind of leaning towards, okay, well, this is going to be whatever's coming next. And wouldn't it be great if you had a Kevin Feige <laughs> to have a story in the middle of all that that grounded it and helped kind of traffic cop well, everything else so that it all started to make sense the way that the Marvel Cinematic Universe does? Yeah. That would be the biggest win not just for Disney, but it would be the biggest win for Star Wars fans. It would be the biggest fan. Like it'd be the biggest win for all of us. Yeah, yeah. My initial uh, reaction when I read that news, like I think everyone's was, was, "Oh my gosh, that's fantastic!" Right. I immediately downshifted. Yeah. Because I was like, "Dow, is this going to be the thing that breaks Kevin Feige? Like, is this going to be one responsibility too much? Yeah. Because you know they they have retired." Captain America, they've retired Iron Man, they're they're going into new territory with phase four. And I'm like, I would think now more than more than any time, his focus needs to be on Marvel because they're trying to start all these new characters. They have the X-Men and they have the Fantastic Four coming down the pipe. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that worries me. Like I I'm crossing my fingers. I want everything to be super successful. I want the Star Wars universe to have sort of the direction that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has. And even though the Marvel Cinematic Universe they're not batting a thousand, but they're they're batting pretty high. Yeah. Um, I hope that happens. I'm just wary of when it will eventually happen, when Marvel has their first misfire, I hope this is not the reason why. Yeah, the Feige was moved. Yeah, that's certainly possible. That's certainly possible. Michael, you, you brought up a really good point, too, as well, uh, about the idea that Feige's been able to handle directors, positive and negative, throughout the series and survive and kept them on course and got them to buy into the larger picture of it all. And I wonder, because Kathleen Kennedy's contract only goes through 2021. The extension, the three-year extension is until 2021. Uh, could they be grooming him to take the top spot here and then someone else slides into Marvel and takes over the Marvel situation and keeps it humming? I think it's dangerous. I, I don't. It's funny. I don't. You don't see it that way? I don't see a world where anybody, any executive would want to take Kevin Feige away from the Marvel Universe. Well, it might be him. Like, 10 years of doing Mar- – you're like – He did something unprecedented. Right. And it's like, how much more can I- – and, I, and I, I said this already in another show, and maybe people are getting annoyed by me repeating this. But to me, it's like flow and progressive, right? She does those commercials, 70 coordinations, great actress. I- <laughs> I'm going to get you there. You Just said- be- have faith. I, it took me a minute. You said flow and progressive, and yeah. it was so out of left field that I didn't even know the yeah. words that were coming out of your mind. It took me a minute to contextualize what yeah. you were uh, even saying. Uh, Please, uh, continue. That's why I have a job in this business, out-of-box thinking. Anyway, <laughs> you got flow from progressive <laughs> insurance. Christ. Stephanie Courtney, she she you know she took this role and became a spokesperson for this car insurance company. Now, she's a well-known actress amongst improv people here in Los Angeles, and wherever else she's performed improv, she's an incredibly talented funny actress so if you can't go on tv shows if you can't go be a series regular on another show because you are contractually obligated to this thing you and you do it really well how do you spread your wings oh we're going to create these characters that are versions of yourself or your family or whatever so that you can stretch out your wings a little bit creatively and have a little fun within the box that we've put you in Kevin Feige, same thing. The box is Disney. Where do you want to go? He's spoken highly about Star Wars many times. This is their way. If they, if, if the movie comes off and is done, it's their way of letting him spread his wings creatively in another franchise, another arena. He's already done in Marvel. He's proved everything he needs to prove in Marvel. Honestly, he's proved everything. So moving into this situation, you keep him happy. 
You keep him satisfied, and he goes and like scratches that Star Wars itch for one movie, and then maybe and then finds his way back to the MCU. I don't. The other thing that I wonder because they say he's I got, got you a, there though, didn't I? You you got you know what you got me to. You got me to trying to picture a Star Wars movie where Kevin Feige was in it and playing lots of other characters in his family. Kevin Feige <laughs> with a mustache. Kevin Feige with a wig. Kevin uh, Feige with like Yoda that's, ears. That's, Yoda ears. Okay, that's not my responsibility <laughs> or fault. <laughs> that's where that that, it, that is. That is a hundred percent your fault, sir. <laughs> when I have that, when I have that dream tonight and wake up screaming, it is a hundred percent your fault. Uh, no, I Iron Man, he is. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm not saying and this is no. I don't. I don't know that Kevin Feige wants to or is planning on being a writer or a director. Right. So he's going to shepherd this. Thing. He'll shepherd it. Yeah. And. Look, I think Kevin Feige is probably one of the hardest working guys in Hollywood. I think he is busy as fuck already. And I, no think, and I think the concern that is this going to be make, make him too busy, spread him too thin, it's always something. No matter how many things you work on, at some point you are creatively spread too thin. You can feel it. Like it happens and you're like, I, I got nothing in the tank. Yeah. That being said, I think that the conversation that probably happened was we're looking at the slate for Marvel – we know that you love Star Wars. We are interested in you coming over and doing what you've done for Marvel. I think they recognize it. If we're sitting here talking on this podcast and we've said it for yeah. several different episodes that that Lucasfilm doesn't have their Kevin Feige and that the biggest issue they have is that from Force Awakens to Last Jedi, they have gone out of their way to do damage control with J.J. Abrams coming out and saying, no, no, Ryan Johnson didn't mess anything up. We're on track. We're on track. But it's clear that like what he did in Last Jedi, whether we can mm, argue whether right, we like right, it or right. not, was not necessarily in the cards. So yeah. they know that that's their issue. They know that that's their Achilles heel in, in Lucasfilm. So they go to him and they say, we're really interested in you coming over and do this. We are not going to sacrifice Marvel for Star Wars, but what do you what do you think? How does how would this work? And they looked at the schedule and they looked at the rollout and they said, can you handle all this? And I do think that in the position that he's at, it'll make him super busy. I don't know how he has a personal life. I don't think he ever takes a vacation. So I'm not saying that this is easy and he just is going to sit in his desk and say, hey, I've got this. He'll be it'll be really hard. But I think at the level that he's at overseeing everything, if he's overseeing writers and directors and people, and he could go fly to set for Star Wars, see everything's going right, talk to everybody, yep, this is well in hand, fly back to being on set for, you know, Captain Marvel 2, Black Panther 2, whatever, you know, as long as you've got the Kuglers, as long as you've got the Ryan Johnsons, as long as you've got the people on every on every side, I'm just saying whoever is directing it. You can, you can have the Kenneth Branagh doing Thor, like whatever you want to say. Shannon's nodding his head here at Ryan Johnson. He's getting all Shannon attitudinal. But, uh, but no, I'm just saying like, I, think, I, think it's, I think it's possible that he can do both. I think it's possible at his level. I, if you were going to say that James Gunn was coming in and he was going to direct – three more Guardians films and he was also going to direct a Star Wars trilogy and he was going to do it simultaneously I'd be like fuck you you can't do it well he is kind of doing Suicide Squad and uh, uh, I thought no I thought Guardians wasn't happening until after Suicide right, Squad right but you, you'd be crazy to think he's not already working on Guardians like mentally and taking time and creating but story that's different on. but I'm saying you're being distracted from one to focus on the other but I'm saying that like that is okay you that's are, what concerns me you are correct that jumping into an entire other universe when you've just been living in the Marvel Universe is you can't – that is a distraction. Yeah. 
I don't know. The fear is you're repeating emotional beats in two separate franchises. And then you're like, well, oh, shit, they're running. They're, I'm doing the same thing over again. And that that will expose you. And that's I don't understand that. Look, as a guy who hosts a number of fucking shows, I have I, I couldn't do one. I finally hit my limit with Geek Buddies. Like, I could not. I can. Ew. I think. No, I don't. Ew. Not in a negative way. How Did we dare break you, you, sir? We broke you. No, no. How? Dare I'm you. saying. I thought we were having a good time. We here. are having. A, we were I'm saying. I'm saying. If I was to host one more show, I would break, because I don't have the time, and I can barely keep my girlfriend as it is. Honestly, she said it to me the other day. She's like, she's like, baby, I rarely see you. I don't see you as much as I used to, and that that hurt me because I love her to pieces. That's why I don't date. Okay, that and nobody will date me. There, that's well, we got to the second part, <laughs> uh, which is a patent lie. <laughs> I've seen you date many, many people. Um, but uh, the thing is that you, you can get spread too thin. And there are times where I feel that. There are times where I've, I get really, really exhausted. Now, look, I'm not Kevin Feige in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but so what he's dealing with is on a much larger scale. So I can't even imagine being one human being dealing with two separate franchises and the ins and outs and the canons of all of them. That's a lot. It is. I will say, so when I was... You are correct. I will say, like, when I was an executive at Hasbro, mm. when I was when I was running creative for the TV side, like, there was a – again, I am not Kevin Feige. Right. I don't know how he does it. Like, I wish on my best day I could be like him. But right. when you are going from I am reading a My Little Pony script and then I'm jumping into a Transformers meeting and then I'm going to discuss Hungry Hungry Hippo's development and then I'm going over here to talk about Littlest Pet Shop. And like, like that is it – is, it is true that like you, you have to jump from thing to thing. And I will say that there, sometimes there's – to your point about wanting – oh my god, I can't believe I'm saying this. To your flow with progressive point. Hell, got him. <laughs> oh, fuck. Got him there. <laughs> oh, god, I can't believe I came back to it. Yeah, um, it gets in there. It's right in there. It might in the long run be good for him to be able to jump out of the Marvel Universe. That's what I'm getting at. Because there's definitely a – I've been sitting having discussions yeah. about Cybertron and Optimus Prime and Decepticons and Autobots for three hours. Jumping over to Equestria and talking about Twilight Sparkle is nice. Like right. it, it, it actually does kind of – as opposed to forcing you to repeat beats or as opposed to forcing you to, to – uh, as opposed to it being creatively challenging, it actually is nice because it sort of rests one part of your brain. Yeah. So to your point, there is also an argument to be made that after – 10 years of the Marvel Universe, even though he's going to continue on and they're doing a lot of really new stuff, jumping over to Galaxy Far, Far Away for a few minutes and saying, all right, I've got Jedis, I've got the Force, I've got Bounty Hunters, I've got, you know, scum and villainy and everything else, like, that might actually be refreshing for him, and then he can come back to Marvel kind of going, all right, I had a nice little stretch. Superheroes. It gets to be his weekend warrior job. Kind of. Yeah. 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 Don't you think, Shane? I mean, I, I, I understand. I understand that line of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I just hope, again, I hope that the Marvel Cinematic Universe does not suffer as a result of him wanting to be a weekend warrior yeah. in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, because right now with the with Aquaman and with Shazam and Wonder Woman, obviously, and Wonder Woman 1984 coming. Um, and, and Birds of Prey. And Birds of Prey, Green Lantern Corps. Uh, these are all in the pipeline for DC. D- if this, if DC continues its run of successful movies, I mean, let's call it a jog. Well, yeah, right, fair enough. Uh, but like, 
He certainly, Aquaman made a billion. Uh, uh, Shazam didn't make as much as they were hoping it made, but certainly made a good chunk of change and was received well by the, mostly by the critics. It justified its production. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so you're like, okay, well, if Birds of Prey comes out, and is, which has uh, got its own drama now with these reshoots going on, if it comes out and it does gangbusters, uh, and then Green Lantern Corps comes out and it does gangbusters, then you could see, and you have a Marvel film, maybe one or two, that don't do quite well in this post- Spider-Man post Phase Four world, it could start to shake the foundation a little bit, and then where's Feige in in that moment? And if it's because Feige's off doing Star Wars, the questions are going to come at that point. That is true, right? Yeah, don't you think that? Would, yeah, that is what I that is what I fear. Yeah, um, I don't think they're really worried no. about DC because ultimately, I think having a healthy competition is is good for the marketplace. Sure. Um, but I mean, DC would have to go on a on a streak, yeah, of just you know hit after hit after hit after hit, and as much as I would like to see that happen, I don't know if that's going to happen. Or the Batman and Joker, Joker is that's DC. It sure. is. I think that the difference, and this is the one of the things that I find interesting about Kevin Feige as an individual, mm. and one of the things that I think is going to be interesting in the next like ten years of Hollywood is that. It is amazing to me that there are not more people that are able to build a uh, a contiguous universe Mm -hmm. the way that he does. Anyone who's grown up reading comic books, anybody who's done these things that that there's a there's a there's an art to doing it. Yeah. And it is shocking to me the fact that people don't understand how to do it or don't. Uh, or or the studios won't allow them to do it. Yeah. I find that really, really interesting. So I do think the reason they're pulling him over to Lucas is because they want him to do that thing. Um, but I do find it interesting because I know that there are creators out there. Like mm-hmm. I know – like it's not like it's like there are creators out there that do know how to do this. And I just don't know why they're not rising up higher because everybody should be out there looking for someone who can do – what Kevin Feige does. Yeah, and maybe Favreau going over. Remember Feige and Favreau did that Iron Man movie. Maybe there's something here too, their connection where like Favreau kind of like this is the ins and outs of how de- dealing with Star Wars, dealing with and of course he's been on in under the Disney umbrella, but how much has he had to deal creatively with the Star Wars yeah. side of things? Probably not that much. So Favreau uh, uh, gives him kind of shorthand. I tell you what, that's really interesting. I didn't think about this till you said it, but Favreau, obviously a Marvel guy. Yes. Uh, I know that Taika directed yes. an episode of Mandalorian. Yes. And I, I have a... God, fuck, I didn't think about that. There is a big chance that we're going to start seeing this huge overlap, that there's going to be this sort of group of... Yep. This creative brain trust that sort of really sort of kicked things into gear with Marvel yeah. uh, and continues to kick it into gear that are going to start playing in the Star Wars universe. And again, you could say that this is a lot of like, well, we're just giving the same people the same jobs, like whatever. But like I, I personally, just from a my own personal satisfaction, would not be mad at some of these people. Just the way that I'm not mad yeah. at Favreau doing Ma- Mandalorian. Like I'm like, yeah, yeah bring it on. I'm, I'm excited. Russo brothers could slide in. They've spoken very highly about their love of Star Wars. Yeah, a Coogler Star Wars. A Coogler, so, oh my God! Yeah, we, we don't need a James Gunn Star Wars. Okay. We, we already got Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay, we don't need we don't need Gunn Star Wars. Okay, okay. Do we need a a Taika Star Wars? Well, certainly we need a Taika Star Wars. I need, we need Taika everything. A Taika Star Wars would be all droids. <laughs> that just would be brilliant. A Taika Star Wars that's all droids. There's no humans at all. It's all a droid Star Wars would be 
incredible. Mighty, and he could pull it off. for the droid revolution. Yeah. yeah. That they talked about in Solo. A Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. I, do you know what's so funny? When Solo came out, I didn't know who Phoebe Waller-Bridge yeah, was. Yeah. I'm like, I really like that droid. And now yeah. I, I basically, when we went to uh, Star Wars, I didn't say this, but when we went to uh, Galaxy's Edge the other day, I was like, hey. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> the Millennium Falcon is Fleabag. <laughs> Millennium Falcon has got a lot cooler. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, we should wrap up right at the hour mark. I think that's. Uh, I think this is going to be certainly a, a story we keep tabs on. Ongoing conversation. Yeah, certainly. And, and we'll see if maybe this is either A, just him stretching his creative wings, B, uh, maybe kind of smoothing uh, the path between Marvel directors, kind of sliding into Star Wars stuff. Or if maybe possibly he is kind of like uh, being uh, groomed to slide into the Kathleen Kennedy spot. All kinds think, of things are possible. I don't think that's the case. Yeah? You don't think so? You think she'll stay on after the 20, uh, 2021? I, I think that'll be an interesting thing to see. I mm. think that I don't know enough about what they really think of her inside. I know what fans think. Right, right, but I right. think that a lot of times when fans are upset at Kathleen Kennedy about things, it's not really things that – like I said this yeah, before. She should be, I said this before, yeah. and I said this about like we, like we'll be on these text chains with all of our friends where everyone's like, uh, "Well, Kathleen Kennedy this, Kathleen Kennedy that," and I'm like, "There's not a single person on this text chain that could sit at her desk and make the decisions that she is making based on the amount of money." I was like, "I think that there's a lot of, I think I think I think she has a really hard job, and I think she does it mm. well." Uh, but I do Senator think it'll Vogel be, again. Okay. I do think it'll be interesting to see what happens post 2021. You just threw everybody, all of our friends, under the bus. Yeah, on a text chain. Yeah. Well, apparently you text everything right, and everyone just texts oh, everything wrong. I don't text everything right at all, and okay. everybody can feel free to have their own podcast and talk about what I do wrong. <laughs> yeah, we're going to post some screenshots of Vogel's texts on the Instagram. Yes. <laughs> I want to see your text whistleblower complaint. I want that on my desk tomorrow morning. Oh Unredacted. <laughs> uh, anyway, all right. Let's wrap up because we all got to go home. Uh, thank you to everyone who's uh, been downloading this podcast and talking about it, listening to it, and uh, retweeting it, and uh, giving us some love all over the place. It's so much fun. We're building. We're, we're, we're building step by step, piece by piece, but we seem to have a very strong fan base as we're building every week, and we appreciate that very much. Uh, Shannon, what do you want to say? Yeah, if you would like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies, on Instagram, at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you would like to follow me on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung on Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy and on my IMDb page right now the, the show that I worked on may or may not be on there. Oh, you can finally talk about it yet or no? No, I can't. Oh, somebody put it on. But but it's on there. Okay. <laughs> oh, interesting. Look for it. I wonder if it's in a certain borough. All right, go ahead. Yeah. Um, I am at MKTune on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And maybe they should put stars on iTunes for us, ratings and reviews. You just let me, you just let me do that, mm-hmm. didn't you? you, son of a... Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, if you want to give us some love on the show, more than just like tweeting out the show or, or tweeting comments to us and wanting to be part of the score horse, uh, you can, uh, which is great. I love those. I loved seeing those tweets. You can give us some uh, likes over there on iTunes or wherever you listen to us on whatever uh, down, uh, uh, streaming uh, platform you listen to us on. Uh, or you can write us a review. Really, we appreciate those iTunes reviews. Help us move up the chain. So it's really important if you take time, rent a sensor two, and give us some love. Uh, I'm actually going to let everybody know if you want to play at home, the next Score Horse theme mm. for uh, the month of October is Heroes and Villains. Oh. Everybody has to submit half of their music has to be heroes and half of their music has to be villains. So stay tuned and uh, find out what everybody uh, did. I there might have three of my tracks already picked. Ooh, there you go. Well, you can follow me at the Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. I will not be participating, but I appreciate it. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, and we will talk to you next time on The, the Geek Buddies. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.